Hello, brethren, and welcome back to this last and final segment of our True Pastoring series. It is with much joy that we finally, after a year, have completed going through 1 Timothy, Titus, and now 2 Timothy. It's commonly called the Pastoral Epistles, and I am so grateful that you've been with me. We've spent so much time in the Word, uh, in these epistles, hearing the heartfelt message that the Lord had Paul pen and ultimately go out uh, to all ages, not only pinned to Timothy, but even as the churches in Revelation were were given at that time, the first century churches, but yet they're applicable to all uh, the church age uh, until Christ returns. And, And again, it's with great joy that we will be in 2 Timothy chapter 4, which was, again, the last chapter in this wonderful series and time that we've had. And I just pray that, well, let's pray together, uh, brethren. Uh, Father, I just thank you. And it's through the Lord Jesus Christ that we come unto thee, our Father and our God, and in the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the time that, that you've given me and us to sit here and, and look at these epistles to have fellowship, and to really understand what it means and the importance of what it means to be a shepherd, to teach the Word of God in not only word and in power, but in demonstration of one's life. Father, you've enriched these series, this series. I pray that today, Father, that the joy would, would be just ringing in, in not only our hearts, but as we see the Apostle Paul, knowing his martyrdom was near, and with the urgency and the feverish pitch that he has, speaking to Timothy, what would be our demeanor? What would be our urgency? What would be our uh, cry if we knew that our days were quickly coming to an end? I heard a wise man speak one time, Father, that that, uh, to preach every sermon, to teach every Time you teach the Word of God as if it would be your last. And Father, I pray that today that you would be honored and that the Lord Jesus Christ would be lifted up to your glory. Father, and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And brethren, as I said, I, I heard years and years ago a wise man once say uh, to a pastor, he said, you must go into the pulpit and preach every message as if it was your last. And when we do that, we, we, we have a seriousness about the word, and yet the seriousness brings about a joy unspeakable, full of glory, the Apostle Peter says. So let's, uh, let's sit down and get into this last chapter. I pray that we would glean from it uh, wondrous things out of, out of his law, as the psalmist says in Psalm 119. I want to just briefly read this, and we'll, we'll go over, and we'll just get into some fellowship together, brethren. Again, I, I with with much anticipation, I come to this last chapter. Second Timothy chapter 4, let's read a little bit down first. It says, I charge you, therefore. Remember, therefore is always in the Bible, that therefore, going on from what has gone on before. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, 
because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. And he says in verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. You know, brethren, when, when we come to realization of how quickly time is passing, and when we understand prophecy in the Bible denoting the, the signs of the times, not only of the Lord's return, but where are we in, in the ages? We're in the church age. The Bible would say that the church age is coming to a close. We see many signs, and it's not my uh, place in this study to get into that, but we are nearing the time of the season of the Lord's return. I think that no one will argue with that. It has a true look at the scriptures. Just look at Israel. We see the things going on in Israel um, very, very uh, soon. But he says to Timothy, look at verse 1. He says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. You know, I think that appearing and his kingdom has a very, very viable understanding of that first verse because, yes, the Lord Jesus Christ is the judge of all. We have been judged at the cross. Jesus took our, our punishment for us at the cross. Thereby, we have come from death into life. We've passed punishment, condemnation, and we've gone from death into life as Christians. You know, we see that again in that wonderful passage we've talked about so much, John chapter 5, verse 24, where Jesus said that we have passed from judgment and we've entered from death into life. He is going to be the judge of the living and the dead. Not only at his appearing, uh, when he comes for Christians in the air, we will stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ, not for salvation purposes, because that was already accomplished for us, but for rewards, for what we've done in this life as a Christian. And that he will come back with us, Revelation 19 says, when he comes back to this earth, we will come back with him, and he's going to judge the nations, judge his people Israel and cleanse them and, and save the true Israel and bring them into the land as a theoretic kingdom, so to speak, of his people. But nonetheless, and ultimately at the end of that thousand years of the great white throne judgment, we will sit on his throne and he will judge the living at that point that we're raised that were without Christ, he will judge them, and they will be cast into the lake of fire. It is a very uh, intimate understanding that we have of our God. Not only our God is our Savior and our intimate friend and our counselor, he's the one that has provided everything for our redemption, given a right standing before God, given us an inheritance. We have a standing with God. Our future is absolutely mind-boggling and wondrous if that's the way to put it. And yet we also understand that he is going to come back and judge those that have not only rejected him, but that have treated his people harshly. And so a good understanding of that 
and a roundness that the word gives the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only, again, he could be our wonderful Savior to those that would receive him as Lord and Savior and the forgiveness he offers, or he will be the fierce, terrifying judge of those who have rejected him and rejected his offer of eternal life. We read in the last part of 1 Corinthians 15, when, when all this is over with, when, when Christ comes back and we come back with him, and we have a thousand-year rule with him in his kingdom, the kingdom, and he will sit on the throne of his father David. And at the end of the thousand years, when Satan is judged and cast into the lake of fire, the Lord will deliver up the kingdom to his father, that God may be all in all. And then the eternal state where we will have the new heavens and the new earth will be. And, and brethren, isn't that not excitement like nothing else? This world can't even begin to afford that kind of assurance, that kind of eternity. No wonder, he says in verse 2, to preach the word. Look at this. Be ready in season and out of season. Be ready at any time. Be saturated with the word of God. Let the word of God get into you. Always hiding the word in your heart. Be ready. You don't know as an ambassador where God might lead you at any certain time to be a spokesman for him, to speak the truth. You know, this world is full of falsehood, as we will see, and is full of religious deception. And yet God will use his people whenever and wherever he, he chooses. Be ready. Be so saturated with the Word of God that you have it hidden in your heart that the Holy Spirit has a well, a deep well of the Word of God to draw from at any time, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, that you may be able to preach the Word. He goes on to say to convince, to rebuke, to exhort with all long-suffering or all patience, We've talked about the word long-suffering. I love that word. It's patience in a lot of other translations, but the word long-suffering really comes to the understanding when we realize that it is bearing under a load that hurts patiently. It's long-suffering. That's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ is. And God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then he says, all long-suffering and teaching. Brethren, I can't emphasize how important doctrine is, how important the Word of God is. It is so so needful today. The Word says that thy Word is forever settled in heaven. It's not old. It's not irrelevant. You know, people say that, well, this is 21st century and technological advances. That's nothing. The Word of God is forever settled in the heavens. It's not going anywhere. It is the Word of God. To convince those that are in error, to rebuke those that speak falsely of doctrine, and yet to exhort, to encourage, to admonish those that that are just worn out, those that have just have been fighting the battle every day, that, that the world, the flesh, and the devil are constantly 
bombarding those that are set before you, and they are constantly in need of encouragement. And as we get in, in verse 3 and beyond, that we really get into the, the teaching uh, that I want to look at today. You know, Paul, who loved being before unbelievers, he loved being before those that, that he could minister to, he could preach the Word of God. In fact, and elsewhere, he said that, I don't want to lay a foundation on top of what somebody else has already done. I want to go and preach the Word of God and lay the foundation that has already been laid, and that is Jesus Christ. He said, I don't want to know anything among you. Save Christ and Him crucified. Look at verse 3 real closely, brethren. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Look at verse 4. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned unto fables. The apostasy is not coming, it is here. Apostasy is turning away from revealed truth. It is once knowing the truth and yet turning from it. It is an amazing fact of this being the end, one of the signs of this end of the age, that the season of the Lord is here, is the fact that people willingly will turn away and they have itching ears and they will get teachers that will explain and teach things that are appealing to their nature, that are appealing to their flesh, that are appealing to their desires. This is happening at an alarming rate today. Um, I want to encourage you as one who has responsibility over the ones you teach to really research these, to know what's going on out there, to know what kind of teaching is out there and who is teaching. We will see later in this epistle, uh, the Apostle Paul was not weak in naming names because he was guarding the flock. And we're going we're gonna to end this series uh, looking at, uh, amongst other things, Acts chapter 20. And in my ministry, I've used that many, many times because I think that speaks volumes to what is happening today. They're going to find, they're going to find teachers that are going to, going to teach to them that, about health and wealth and how God wants everybody wealthy and prosperous. And, and, and if you just give a little bit, God's promises to give you much, much more. And that, you know, we could go on and on. The, the mystical part of this emerging church, this new Christianity, this, uh, this bending and, and, and speaking and, and distorting the doctrine of Christ and distorting the character of God himself. God does not bend. God's standards are set. His word is forever settled in heaven. His character is righteousness, holiness, and truth. He will not bend. His standard is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So the man without Christ, no matter how good religious or or anything he may seem, he is lost and undone. God will not bend. When you have a standard such as Jesus Christ, God is serious about sin and God is desperately, passionately in love with men. He wants to save those that are perishing. 
He is desirous that we would do the work of an evangelist. He was desirous that we would fulfill our ministry. There are so many people out there that are willing to talk about their God, whoever he might be, but it might not be, and it probably is not the God of the Bible. So much people are talking about reinventing Christianity, and God will have none of that. His standard, remember, is always the Lord Jesus Christ. But look at verse 5. It says, but you be watchful in all things. Watchful. You know, we are all called to be watchmen. I don't have time to turn, but you look at Ezekiel chapter 33 and chapter 3 and so forth. Ezekiel talks about God calls him to be a watchman. But he says a very serious thing. He says, if you see the danger coming and you do not blow the trumpet to warn those and those others that die in their sin, their blood I'm going to require at your hands. It's a serious business. God loves. He so loved the world that he, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. So you see the, the fact that men are lost and that they're perishing, but yet God has done everything by giving his only son that people would believe on him and not perish but have everlasting life. You have people coming out of seminaries now that say that there are multiple ways to God. You have people coming out of the leading seminaries now that they say that there is multiple roads to heaven. There's some that are saying that the resurrection is, is in question. There are some that are saying that the virgin birth uh, is a fable. We could go on. It is an alarming rate that these core doctrines of who Jesus is are being eroded away. You know, most people know John 3.16. Again, I just quote, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. But you know what's interesting to me, brethren, is they don't read the last verse in that chapter 3 of John. Listen to this. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You know, we see the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's not get that muddled uh, with people that corrupt the word of God and adulterate it. The cross of Christ shows God's absolute love. And yet it also shows God's absolute hatred of sin. Sin must be dealt with. Sin must be judged. It's either going to be judged at the cross of Jesus Christ and received as a free gift of forgiveness and eternal life, or you must face God as judge and answer for your sin and be judged for it, and that is eternal separation from God, the second death in the lake of fire. Wow. Is that something that is being eroded today? That is the pure doctrine of, of Christ. And yet their time will come, brethren, when people will not want to hear that. They will turn away from it. And they will get teachers that have just say God here and there that give them what they want to hear, that make God what they want him to be. And they will bypass the cross of Christ. Wow. Wow. 
So in verse 5 when he says, But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, and do your work as an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. There you go, brother. The work of an evangelist. The pastor's main job is just, is not only to be in the pulpit and expound the word of God, but he is to go out amongst those that he is involved with and amongst those that he brushes in contact with every day. And therefore, by being an evangelist and calling and being an ambassador for God, be ye saved all the ends of the earth. Do you know that's God's cry in Isaiah? Be ye saved all the ends of the earth. He is crying out. He is long-suffering. He's allowing this world to continue for a time that those that would come to him might be saved. Fulfill that work. He says, verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. Again, I want to, I want to just convey this idea to you and, and see if, if it kind of gels with you like it did with me. If this was written about you, if you were writing to a friend and you said, you know what? I'm being poured out as an offering on the service of you all. I know that I'm leaving very, very soon. How would you speak? How would you preach the word? How would you teach the word? That's why going back to our first, my first comment about the wise man who told, once told the young pastor, preach every time as if it were your last. That's the urgency that Paul has here. He says, Timothy, I'm going to tell you, you've been to be ready in and out of season. Verse 2, I'm going to tell you because in verse 3, there's going to become a time when people are not going to endure sound doctrine. They're going to turn away and they're going to hear fables and everything that they want to hear. But I want you to be watchful in all things. I want you to endure the afflictions that's going to happen. I want you to do the work of an evangelist because, again, we're speaking for God. We're his ambassador, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And then he says, I'm telling you this in all urgency. My, my sacrifice is being poured out in the service of you all. And guess what? The time of my departure is here. Look at verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I want to look at Acts chapter 20 uh, for a little bit. And I would just want to, to share with you what's, what's in my heart as we've spent so much time together and you've become near and dear to me through these series of, of messages. I just want to read Acts chapter 20, starting verse 21. We'll read down to maybe verse 32. He says, testifying, verse 21 of Acts chapter 20, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Not many roads to heaven, one road to heaven. Not many interpretations of the truth, only one truth. There's not many forms of life. There is one life. That sums up John 14, 6, when the Lord Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Paul goes on to say, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that with chains and tribulations await me. 
Listen to this, brethren, verse 24. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul said elsewhere, I do not nullify or frustrate the grace of God. For basically, if I'm not saved by grace, Christ died needlessly. It's in Galatians. We also see that he lived to share the grace of God and the love of God. But he says, I want to finish my course. I want to finish my race with joy. You know, we were all on uh, this earth for a reason. Us pastors are on this earth to do nothing more than teach the Word of God, exemplify the Word of God, shepherd the flock that God has put under us, and do it with integrity, do it with solemnness, do it with seriousness, do it with joy. And all of this coded over and enumerating with love. Love oozing from our pores for the ones that God has set before us. Wow. Back in, in well, I want to just reiterate in Second Timothy 4, 7, remember it says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Back in Acts 20 again, I just want to reiterate the fact that he says, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I see from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Listen to this, I'll read down. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. That's an interesting statement, isn't it, brethren? Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Paul could say that because, remember, going back to Ezekiel and so forth, at the watchman, if the watchman is not uh, obedient in spreading the word and the warning that those that might perish, if they have not received the warning, that the blood would be upon the watchman's hands. That's why Paul could say, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Let me move forward a little bit. He could say that. Look at verse 31. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone day and night with tears. He was serious. He was serious about the age in which we live, the time in which we live that's drawing near. Today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, the writer of Hebrews says, do not harden your hearts, which I believe was Apostle Paul. But nonetheless, the urgency. We look around, brethren, when we see this Christendom, now they're joking around, they're laughing they're being slain in the spirit. They're more concerned about signs and wonders. They're more concerned about attendance. They're more concerned about making people happy and giving them their best life now than offending them. They're more concerned about fleshly welfare by all the, all the means leading them straight to hell. And so Paul says, he's innocent of the blood of all men. He's warned all men. He says in verse 27, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. From Genesis to Revelation. There has only been one way of salvation 
through the whole Bible, and that's by grace through faith. He's not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God. Brethren, I have talked to pastors that don't even teach the Old Testament. They said the New Testament is where it's at. They spiritualize everything else. They have no clue on, on where we are in the sign of the times. They look at Israel and they don't, they don't give that a second thought. They believe that that's just either coincidence or Israel now, a lot of false teachers say, are in the occupation illegally and so forth. The whole counsel of God, brethren, we see that the church is a distinct entity from Israel. The church and Israel are separate and yet we see that the teaching now is just the opposite. Um, we see all these delusions of the Bible to an unsuspecting world, and more importantly, brethren, to an unsuspecting flock that's not even encouraged to bring their Bibles to church anymore, let alone to go home and study it and ask the Lord for understanding. Paul says, I have not, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Here's what I want to get to that we just talked about the in our second Timothy about the itching ears. Listen to verse 28. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Take heed to yourselves. All the flock amongst the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You know, a, a uh, uh, an elder, a pastor in the church has not should not be self-made. Oh, well, I think that's what I'm going to do. I want to be a pastor. I'm just going to, you know. No, he is called by God. We have talked about this before. And, and Paul is saying, take heed to yourselves. Make sure of your life. Make sure of your doctrine. Remember? In our last study, Paul told Timothy, you've known my manner of life. You've known my purpose. You've known my faith, my love, and the afflictions I've endured. And he's saying here that take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit made you overseers. Shepherd the church of God. Lead them. Because God purchased it with his own blood. God incarnate and the Lord Jesus Christ purchased it with his blood. How are we purchased? By good works? No. Are we purchased by good works and faith? No. We are purchased by faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen on our behalf. He purchased us. He redeemed us back to himself with his own blood. Look at verse 29, brethren. For I know this, that after my departure... Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from your own selves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. We are called to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, baptizing him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus said. These men will draw disciples after themselves. The Rick Warrens of the world, the Joel Olsteins, and I could go on in the world. Beware of these men. They draw disciples after themselves. They want you and those that are naive out there to follow their program instead of God's word explicitly. Therefore, he says in verse 31, watch. 
and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone day and night with tears. And now he leaves them as doing the only other thing he can do. In verse 32, and now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That is the heart pounding of a pastor. That is, that is the understanding of one that knows the seriousness of our spiritual warfare. Satan is out there. You know, the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 5 that uh, Satan is like a roaring lion. He's like a roaring lion waiting for someone to devour. But he says, resist him, standing firm in the faith, knowing that your brethren, that means your remnant Bible-believing solid brethren out there are enduring the same thing. The same thing are happening. So back in 2 Timothy 4, 7, he says, I, I fought the fight. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Look at verse 8. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also all those who have loved his appearing. What day? What day is he talking about here? He's talking about to us on the day that we stand before him, the judgment seat of Christ, when we receive those rewards from the Lord himself. And when we hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So he says, fight that good fight. Keep on course. Don't bend because you know what? There's going to be a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, the Lord is going to give each one of us that crown of righteousness on that day. He's going to give that crown of righteousness to all those who have loved his appearing. All those that are not only love the fact that they are saved in Christ, but that he's coming back. What a promise. John 14 If I go away, I will come back. And if I come back, I'm going to receive you unto myself, that where I am, you will be also. We will always be with the Lord. That's exciting. Hang in there. Strengthen yourselves daily in the Word of God and with each other. He says, be diligent to come to me quickly. He says, for Demas... For Demas, having forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Grecians, and for Galatia, Titus for Dementia. Now we see that the interesting about thing about this, brethren, in Colossians chapter 4, uh, if you want to turn there real quick, if, if not, then let me turn there real quick for you. We see Demas in a different light. Okay? Colossians chapter 4, verse 4. You know, and another thing, too, uh, let me just add this in. Um, we see Demas as a one who was part of the work of the Apostle Paul. So in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. He was ending that letter of with greetings from Timothy and and and, um, and so forth. And, and he mentions in there Demas. Somewhere along the line, we don't know why, and we don't want to spiritualize the text, but he says, For Demas has forsaken me, 
having loved this present world. We know by the other scriptures, the world, the friendship with God, or excuse me, friendship with the world is enmity with God. So let's just leave it at that. He said in verse 11, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. And Tychius I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I have left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, and especially the parchments. Oh, how the Apostle Paul loved the Word of God. How he loved the uh, the Word. And, you know, we see that in, in, you know, so many myriads of places. God told Moses that. Uh, he encouraged Joshua in the first couple chapters of the book of Joshua to, to meditate on, on the Word of God, to not let it depart from you. We could go all the way through the Scriptures and see the importance of the Word of God. Uh, I should do a whole study alone on, on Psalm 119, where it is the psalm that explodes the fact of how rich the Word of God is and how much the psalmist loves it and what the Word of God accomplishes. That's what Paul loved the Word of God, especially the parchments. But as he names those he loves and those he's greetings and those who have helped him, he also, look in verse 14, the apostle also warns, you know, a shepherd uh, in in the old part of Israel, would would shepherd his sheep, and then towards the evening he would shepherd. He would put the sheep in the sheep pen, and where would the shepherd sleep? Outside, inside, the shepherd would sleep. Sheep would sleep usually right at the gate, into the pen that he may guard the sheep from wolves and harm. This is what the apostle is doing now, as he loves those he addresses. We see that in, in Romans sixteen, the greetings. Um, and also there's a warning right in there in the midst of that. There's also a warning right in here. Look at verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You must also be aware of him, for he was greatly resist, He has greatly resisted our words. At my first offense, verse 16, no one stood with me, for all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. So by name, um, the harm that comes in. You know, uh, to the church through these false teachers, through these ones that cause the church harm. And brethren, as time goes on, as we near the Lord's return, this is only going to get worse. The Bible says that men are deceivers and they wax from bad to worse, being deceived and to deceive. Verse 17, I love this. He said, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Now, that's figurative language. Paul, as we read about in so many places, he endured so much beatings. Uh, He was beat with rods. He was stoned. He spent night and day of the deep. He uh, was just mercilessly sought after many times to take his life. And he was he was truly delivered from the lion's den. He was truly delivered from from the lion that was to devour him. And I find it interesting, brethren, I find it very heartwarming that as he said, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Do you know that Jesus said This night you all are going to scatter and be left alone, and yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And we read in in Genesis 22 where Abraham 
was going with with uh, with his son to be sacrificed, they went up together. The Bible says together. Abraham went with his son together up to the place of sacrifice. That is so tender to me because it just adds validity to the fact that God will never leave us or forsake us. Wow. Let me just read real quick, brethren. We're just spending time together. Genesis chapter 22. So as they were going out to, to worship and God said, Sacrifice your son to me. Abraham said to the young man, You stay here with the donkey, and the lad and I are going to go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. You know, when Jesus said, You are all going to forsake me this night, yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. The Father went with the Son to the place of brutal execution on a Roman cross. And there God had to turn away from his son as he was bearing the sin of the world, your sin and my sin. You know that message, brethren, never gets tiring of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is fresh, it is vibrant, it is powerful, it is passionate, and we need to preserve it and carrying it on and hand it if the Lord tarries to the next generation to faithful men and brethren that will carry it on. He says in verse 18, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me finish this this last four verses, and we'll get back to verse 18. He says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Armiphorus. Eratus, stay at Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miltus, sick. Do your utmost to come to me, come before winter. Epulus greets you as well as Pudens, Laius, Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace to you. Amen. You know, verse 18 has is, is always been a precious verse to me because I was raised in a very solid teaching of the Word of God. In fact, he remains my pastor to this day. I've talked about him before. His name is Brian Larson, a very wonderful man of God. He's always taught me the security of those that are in Christ, the absolute security that depends on the faithfulness of God and not on us. And yet through it all, the Apostle Paul with confidence could say, He will deliver me from every evil work, and He will preserve me for His heavenly kingdom. He will preserve me. Now I just want to end with two scriptures that have always meant so much to me in the aspect of preserving and keeping uh, the one in Christ. 
One of the first one I want to go to is in the little letter of Jude. And as, as you look at this, that's amazing to me because this letter of Jude, which is right before Revelation, in that letter it talks about wicked men who have crept in our wares, a warning those necessary to exhort us to contend for the faith which is earnestly delivered once and for all the saints. But Jude opens this letter, he says, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. This is assurance, my friend. Preserved, kept, guarded. We are kept by God himself because of his faithfulness. I know that I will be in heaven because Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, is there on my behalf. The other scripture I want to uh, to show you because it is so it is just so blessed to me, and this is all through the Word, brethren. Psalm thirty-seven, which is a great, great psalm, um, the Old Testament. The psalmist writes, "For the Lord loves justice; He does not forsake His saints; they are preserved forever." Those that are in Christ Jesus are in him. And we can't forget the great passage in Colossians. It is such a wonderment to know that the Apostle Paul not only preached the whole counsel of God, but he emphasized the dearness and the trustworthiness we could have in our position in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. Remember Colossians chapter 3? Verse 3, actually, I'll just read the first three uh, verses of Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, or you're, you're in Christ, you've been raised with him. If we died with him, the Bible says in Romans, it is certain we will be resurrected with him. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. The writer of the Hebrews says he's sitting up there in the presence of God for us. And listen to this. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And I think that's a fitting way to end this, these wonderful epistles. I love the Word of God, brethren, and I hope that, that this drives you on, that you might love it, treasure it, keep it as your prized possession. I love the fact that God has not only preserved His Word, but He has given it to us as a gift. This is God's revelation of Himself to you and I. And I will guard it with everything I have until the day that the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Brethren, I just thank you. I thank you for this time. I thank you for this series. I pray that if you find true pastoring of any value, this series, you pass it on to those that you know that God is equipping or has in a position of authority um, that we would rightly shepherd to please our chief shepherd 
that when he appears, we may receive the crown of glory that will not fade away. You know, Peter, I encourage you to study the epistles of Peter to see how he looks at the loveliness of his Lord. You know, um, Peter was a, a man who loved the Lord Jesus Christ, who who received. You remember in in John, right as as at the end of John, Jesus appeared to them at the lake when when Peter and John, a few others, have gone out fishing, and John says, "It's the Lord," and Peter. With pure joy, jump, you know, dove in the water and swam back. He could, he didn't want to wait, and he stood on the beach and he was just spellbound. And Jesus said to him, "Remember, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me?" But he said three things in the midst of those three questions of "Do you love me?" Tend my sheep, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. And I want to close this wonderful series with this, brethren. First Peter chapter five. Listen to this. The the elders who are among you, I exhort. I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also partaker of the glory that will be revealed. He said, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. You pastors, you shepherds are going to receive a crown of glory from the Lord himself, the chief shepherd that will not fade away. Is this not worth giving your life to what God has called you to? I love you, brethren. I, I, I thank you again. God bless you. Get into the Word of God and let it get into you. And um, let's wait together for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I will talk to you soon. God bless you, brethren.